Welcome to UberCube, the podcast where we discuss all things Cube, but with refreshments. This is your host, Anthony Adams, a.k.a. UberBear, and I'm joined by my other host... Stu, and thanks for joining us. We're, we have an episode covering, and it's going to be titled, The Dark Side of Cube, with a focus on balancing hate cards in your Cube environments. Maybe uh, there's a quote that you can provide that perhaps. would just uh, give us an idea of what the, the kind of dark side is that we're this talking about. This is going to be from... Return of the Jedi from the Star Wars saga. The Emperor. Good. Your hate has made you powerful. Now fulfill your destiny and take your father's plate at my side. Before we get into the topic, what are we going to do, Anthony? We're going to do the thing that we always do here at Overcube. Okay. And we're going to enjoy our libations of the show. That's right. Uh, what you do got? you have in stew? Because we were having twinsies. Well, we are. And this one was uh, a beer that I actually especially selected for the purpose of this recording. It is a Gizmo Brew Works coffee stout. This is right out of Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, it's it's darn good stuff. When so. he pulled this out of his mini fridge, I, I, he got a ooh. <laughs> I mean, it like, did. Yeah, it was like, ooh. oh my gosh, I got a Nintendo 64 for Christmas. Christmas. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's crack it. One of the things we're going to talk about is going to be balancing the fair volume of hate cards in your cube. A certain net number that you should have before it's too much. Now, what you won't get from this episode is that number. We will work further and dive deeper in this. This is going to be a, a very top-level episode about balancing the hate within your cube environments. What is a healthy amount and what is too much that you're breaking a strategy? And I think we need to be quite clear, right? Yes, there are hate cards, right? There are cards that are hateful towards like a particular strategy or archetype. But what we're also probably going to cover is also answers, right? And I think those two words definitely invoke a very different emotional response from either, you know, a drafter or a curator, right? Hate cards, to me, it's like, oh, my God, that's just something that's going to be absolutely disgusting. Like, I've got a particular archetype that I'm trying to put together, and then someone's got just this one card that's just going to hose whatever I'm trying to do. And then you've got these answer cards, which were much more elegant, much more simple, you know, not not quite so severe as the hate cards, but they all, in a sense, are trying to do the same thing, which is stop your opponent doing what he wants to do or she wants to do. Correct. It runs that fine line of breaking a strategy versus interacting with a Correct. strategy. And these are two different That's ideas. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah. So we're going to kind of go over that. But before we do that, we're going to do some categorization. Stu, would you mind taking away the categorizations and explaining what these are so that we have some coinage here to these terms? Absolutely. So the first one is going to be just repeatable stuff, right? So this is one that is near and dear to me because it's in uh, Anthony's Artifact Cube. Once was. Is, or once was. Well, That's correct. Out for it has is Trigon Predator, right? So we're obviously in a very artifact-centric cube you've got a is it a two three or a three two or a two two flyer it's, i think it's a two three right i think so so you got a two three flyer and every time it hits an opponent it can destroy an artifact right so obviously in a very very artifact centric maybe there's not quite as much creature removal in that cube suddenly you've got this repeatable effect that is just incredibly incredibly powerful and then you've got static effects right and this one is kind of a famous divisive is moat it's an enchantment. It basically... Oh, oh, what's that? You thought you were playing aggro? You thought you had creatures on the ground that were going to swing? No, 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 no. Don't think so. Sorry. Not today. That, to me, is like is like the poster child for hate cards. Yeah, and, I would and, agree with that. Uh, yeah, a lot Serves of people... no other purpose. It, it than really, really doesn't. Like, and forget that's kind of the gist the of what we're saying here in so many words. Yes. It, if you placed it in a cube, the belief system that it is going to countermand 
a yeah. strategy, whereas it's actually not countering it. It's it's potentially breaking it. Correct. And being potentially unanswerable. Yep. Making for a non-game. Yep. And that's what you want to avoid in your cube environments because the key to magic, as we've talked about on previous occasions, is, is interaction. Correct. And if you take that away from the game, putting it straight, good luck getting players to sit down and want to continue to play. Exactly. Even if it's just for that subset, right? That one game where I'm running an aggro deck, maybe I didn't choose to draft any utility. Yes, this is on me. But Stu is literally running hit cards that are just for the sole purpose. They're not even sideboard, mainboarded, for whatever reason he's chose that, just breaking my game. Yep. There's no reason for me to continue this fight. No. I'll just scoop it up and play against another opponent. Yeah. It does create that potential, and that's not what you want in your cube environments. No. You want to go you want to finish the rounds, right? The games. Exactly. So these type of cards, mm-hmm. eh, buyer beware. Yes. So the next one is we're going to talk about sideboard relegated. So this is definitely a card that can be incredibly powerful about against a particular strategy or archetype, but it's only really good against that one, right? So an obviously one, say be maybe would be something like Graft Digger's Cage or Relic of Progenitus. Or Relic of Progenitus, and exactly. Then, and then corner cases, and we kind of talked about this in our pregame, we'll say disenchant, but I have my arguments against that in the See, most of these, what's going to be interesting about these terms, repeatable, static, sideboard, and then we're going to go into one here. It's going to be a one-time use. It falls into which environment it's placed in is going to define its level of hate. Yeah. As we move through these, you may be thinking to yourself, well, okay, well, obviously, I think the most of the community would say moat is a very hateful card. It is. But if I say we're going to be running Relic of Progenitus, they might, people might be scratching and going, that's not hateful. Well, if you run a graveyard theme cube, it's suddenly become an ultra hate card. It's the one that you see in pick one of your first pack and you're either taking it because you want to be able to abuse the heck out of it or you're taking it because you don't want someone else to be able to just hose your strategy with it. And that's a good way of weighing and measuring these cards. Mm -hmm. If you feel as a drafter that you have to take this out of the draft, you have to intentionally hate this because it's going to break you, that's a key, that's a KPI. Mm -hmm. That's an indicator that's showing you that that is potentially a hate card, if not just breaking your strategy, maybe multiple. There's a a motivation there behind that decision-making. Agreed. Something, you know, a braid, I think, is a good option for that, right? It destroys an artifact, also can deal three damage to a creature. I actually think a braid is, I don't know know if I'd necessarily categorize it as a hate card just because it does destroy artifacts as well as can uh, deal direct damage. But I can see the argument for it, right? In any, you know, any deck where you're playing red and you might come up against an artifact that you want to get rid of and plus you've got the option to kill a creature, like main deck that more often than not, but... The reason why I put this in here is we put down one-time usage, but quantity now affects sure. the environment. And then again, we'll use my let's use my artifact cube for example. If you ran naturalized, disenchant, and braid, and I don't know twenty-five other effects that are of similar nature, cumulatively they have become an entire hate strategy versus the environment. Yep. And so you have to limit that and know when to draw that back because Agreed. you're t- you're creating non-game scenarios mm-hmm. again. Armies must march, march forward, forward. Yes. Right. So. Kind of to go over it again, we've categorized repeatable static effects that are hate cards, sideboard relegated hate cards, and then one-time usage cards, right? Yep. Just burn and one, one and done. Yep. But in multipliers, they become detriment to They become a hate package rather hate than just package a hate is a good piece. Point. That's a good point, actually. So the topics we're going to kind of cover in this particular episode are going to be anti-aggro 
type of effects, which we kind of said moat in so many words. Anti-artifact, because that scenario has kind of come out with Trigon Predator and other ones like it. And then anti-reanimator graveyard synergies. And what, this is going to be a very problem-solution-driven episode. Yep. So we're going to not not calling out the cards. It's just calling them hate cards and no good for your environment. But we are going to offer cards that are potential solutions. And obviously, this is just covering these strategies slash archetypes really you know when you think about the vast expanse of all different types of cubes right if you have an enchantment based cube for example and you've just got an absolute boatload of enchantment removal you know again that's kind of a hate package that you're putting in obviously it's very specific for that cube but there's a lot of cubes out there right uh so before we even go any further we've kind of that's the overview right let's talk about a new hot card that's causing a lot of conversation it's causing waves it's causing waves, waves. And, and we're going to kind of go through the process Stu, you want to take this one on or do you want me to do this one you, you call it i'll, I'll do this one this is a, a new card that has just come out recently early here in 2023 and it is elish norn mother of machines four colorless one white for a legendary creature phyrexian praetor it is a four seven with with vigilance and to put it just very simply it's panoramonicon and torpor orb in a single card it's not symmetrical it only affects your opponents and this card has been uh, like another kind of one of these divisive cards right a lot of discussion a lot of talk on the socials about whether or not this card is maybe a bit of a mistake i know that actually one of the sheldon menory the edh guy was like man please don't print this card uh, i would imagine there's some a fair amount of jest there but it's it's a fascinating case study in the example of what we're doing right now right because as much as you might look at it and think, oh man. So what it does is if a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, it triggers twice. And also permanents entering the battlefield don't cause abilities of permanents your opponents control to trigger. So immediately, you know, you can start seeing the brainwaves going like, oh man, if I've got any, uh, you know, deck or cube archetype or anything yeah. where I'm trying to get multiple triggers, that's great. But now also I'm hosing my opponents. For me, I feel this is a very EDH card and a very medium card at that. But let's talk about it. We're going to talk about that. So we're going to talk about that. So let's let's do first Power Vintage Cube. Let's 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 talk sure. and talk on that. Panamonicon is the doubling trigger side, which does. Most, most commander players are very familiar with that, and the occasional cube com- players like to incorporate that as well. That's right. Torpa Orb has been labeled for a long time as a hate card against any ETB enter the battlefield triggers Correct. for quite a quite a period now. Yes. So this has been the dream of a lot of players, but maybe not for the right reasons, <laughs> because this, it does do a lot of things. But let's kind of talk about the pros and cons of this card. So let's, let's start with, I'm going to go cons first, right? Okay. Uh, in a powered vintage environment, mine in particular, a 540, uh, yes, I do have ETBs, but I am running the power nine, fast mana, uh, mana crypt, mana vault, all the above, right? Uh, Black Lotus, you get, it's speed. Without those accelerants that you don't necessarily always get, particularly in my 540 draft environment, because it is eight players splitting across the cube, it can, you don't necessarily get that pool of that amazing ramp. Right. On curve, this is four colorless and one planes to cast it for a four seven. Right. By the time I get this out in my environment in an imperfect situation, do I really want to hold back on my solitudes, my furies, my reclamation sages, etc., to interact with the battlefield so that I can be win more-ish and double down and get them? They're, they're spent by the time that I get this out in that environment. So I think in my powered vintage environment, 
this card, it'll have some corner case, and we're going to talk about that amazing function. It's going to be kind of feast or famine with this card. I, I think it's believe. going to see some play as a probably a pretty decent top end for like a mono white aggro. It's only five mana and it is a four seven. Yeah. It does have vigilance. So it attacks really well. Uh, it defends you really, really well. And obviously I think the abilities are fine, but I will say this. I've never played Panoramonicon or Torpor Orb in a vintage cube environment. No. And, and I would never. So, and the reason why is because it's a situational type. It is. One, exactly. It's a, one, it's a build around for you. I get that. That could be fun. If you had a heavy, if you had a heavy blink package, which this is where we're going to draw that line, you're both helping and hurting that package. And that's where the hate's going to come online. We're going to talk about that very shortly. If you had a nice density of cards that have ETB, I can see where you would be encouraged to want to run this. But at the same time, are are you removing the fun from your environment by shutting down the interactions of your opponents? Are you getting memorable games? Do you want this just to be as cutthroat an environment as possible where your other player across the table isn't really playing Magic the Gathering? I think I'm judging think this I'm that. judging it based on like when you look at those two abilities. Yeah. Is blinking a big part of my of the strategy in my cube? And if it is I probably don't want it. And if permanence entering the battlefield, if ETB triggers are a big part of the cube, I probably don't want it either because it's, you know, I can understand there's certain strategies, right? So we'll talk about talk about Entomb, right? That's an obvious, I want to pick that card because it's the best pick one, pack one, in my opinion, for a reanimate, right? Or, you know, whatever. But I'm picking this just because I don't want someone else to have it if those kind of strategies are present in a cube or I'm picking it maybe later on if it comes around because I'm trying to build around it. But am I looking at that thinking, man, I'm so excited to play that card? No. It's, doesn't, it's not exciting to me. It's just I want to play it so someone else doesn't and just in case I can. And I'm going to try and build around it if I get it very early yeah, on because it's very... Because creates it be that enough. also problem with this card is situational. It's exactly. You're, you're, under the, you're under the assumption that your opponent's even going to have ETBs that you wish... Correct. I mean, a gruel stompy isn't going to care. I mean, granted, 4-7, good, right? Let's I'm go. going to care ba about a 4-7. Ba base stats, I'll let you have uh, it. 4-7 right? bottom. But what I mean is uh, you're under the assumption that I'm running this card is that I have a Topor Orb situation on the other side of the field. I think that's presumptuous, right? This isn't going to have that perfect package. This is going to be a haymaker at times. Other times it's going to be just the dead of winter. It's going to, yeah. It's going to, nothing's going to happen. But let's talk about some of the situations where, and if you're, where this could get disgusting, right? Let's talk about some of those haymakers. Uh, Perforos. Yeah. Pretty right? disgusting. Those triggers would be doubled. It'd be disgusting. Field of Four the damage dead. Four damage a time. Field of the <laughs> yeah. dead. But I mean, by then, look how far we went into the game. We have to ramp into this. I can see that, but I'm not encouraged to run this in a Field of the Dead deck, but it is splashable. I could, you could make a valid point because it's only one planes. You could splash this in a deck and you could do something and incorporate this with like uh, Omnath, uh, the Locus yes. of Creation. Right? Yep. You could do some dirty, dirty stuff with this card, but it, it's still not enough to justify that in the environment because I think this this card has the potential to hurt some exchanges or give like false bad signposts bad signposts it, it's something that you think that they're going to be available a huge blink package yeah. and the opponent's drafting for it but maybe you don't run mold drifter anymore right but let's move on to a situation where a card like this and that was that was talking about in my 540 which I did some math on it it turns off about 17% of the cube which is not insignificant. It has it basically powered 540, disables 90 triggers of for the opponents, and it doubles 86 of my I would targets. actually call that incredibly 
significant. Now, it's probably too significant. What, it, it's argument. I think you could make the argument either way, right? So what exactly does it turn off, right? Because not every ability is created equal, yeah, right? So it is a lot, and it does have a lot of effects. Is that 540 cube and that 17%, does it include any lands, for example? It does. I counted it. So Torpor Org would be about 90 Okay. Of that effect. Okay. Panamonicon will be 86. So it's almost on parity. Yes. I mean, it's kind of making a case for itself, but I just, it's situational. I don't, I don't know if I, I, I may test this at some point, but I'm not feeling it right now. Okay. I just, I, there's other cards that I'd rather run in that five slot. I might be really completely way off with this card. I, it doesn't excite me. It would excite me if I had, like I've said, if I had a commander deck where that, the, where those abilities were a big deal, I would want to run it, but I don't. So I'm not super now, excited. Now let's talk about, we're going to go over some cards here in a minute, which will all be included in the show notes. Sure. My law Femme Fatale does run a steady blink package. And in that, blink package uh it's almost on parity with what we talked about although it's a 360 we're looking at 64 targets that are blink spells that are rendered obsolete by this card in this particular environment 64 of the targets that are blink spells or some kind of interaction with a blink environment or a trigger they're completely turned off okay this card would be devastating in that environment and she is a female so she qualifies from my thematic perspective absolutely but she would be backbreaking. I, I insta ban for that cube yep. because it's turning off an entire it's because you don't when you run that strategy typically it's going to be utilitarian and everybody around the table is going to have a little piece of blink there's no just one dominant blink player but it's going to turn off a lot of strategies it's, it's five mana and obviously you don't have things like soul ring and mana crypts Correct. and stuff like that there's no marks or so it's black on curve again, right? so you're you're probably hoping to get out on curve and that's maybe another consideration right is at what point does the blink strategy like start to not really worry about its you know individual ability turned off right because if you're trying to power those blink strategies through the first three or four or maybe even five turns maybe it's not quite as hateful but if the the plan is that you're playing a you know a longer strategy that it's a bit more grindy then yeah i can see it being very problematic i'm not i'm not interested in testing that environment it's just a lot to deal with and it it could be harmful to a heavy blink strategy whereas in my powered vintage cube it could maybe be functional i guess is what we the takeaway here it has moments where it's going to be amazing and other moments where it's going to be backbreaking and non-games and people aren't it's never going to be it's never going to be consistent no I, i do believe that's the problem with this card so let's go over some examples of interactions here that are going to be turned off that'll be rendered and this is going to be across the different environments uh ephemerate would be turned off this from your opponent's standpoint and it would be doubled for yours so anytime yep. you use that card it's disgusting ether channeler is another example yep for two colorless and one blue you get a creature human wizard two one when Ether Channeler enters the battlefield, choose one. Create a 1 1 white bird creature token with flying. Return another target non land permanent to its owner's hand or draw a card. So, obviously, the return to owner's hand is probably what I'm looking at it's nine times fit. out of ten, Vince, right? Because that's, yeah, that's where, yeah. The, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Disgusting. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, Vincer Locks. <laughs> so then we got Emery Lurker of the Lock, which would be like really powerful both in powered vintage environments as well as artifact cubes where you're yes. going to be doubling down on that. Yep. A little bit more tame, but still strong, and I thought it was noteworthy as Thraben Inspector. I'm not worried about Thraben Inspector it's because not. it's a one-drop. It's not, but it's worth noting that she it would is. double that. By then, though, it's already played out. This card's already been spent. I it probably that. is, depending on, you know, again, how grindy of a deck that you're yeah. playing. But if you've got, you know, this dirty Phyrexian Torpor or Panoramonicon creature out, and then, you know, maybe you're top decking, and all of a sudden you've got a Thraben Inspector that now creates two clues and allows you to... Dr- to 
get two cards out of it. You know, it's 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 not nothing. Let's get over to disgusting here. It's going to be solitude. Let's not talk and about fury that. for that matter. It Both, is any of those free cards, man. Yes. You, do, you double down on that trigger. That's mm-hmm. that's a real problem. It would. It may be awesome. It may not be. I, I don't know. I, I considered actually putting this in my cube just to test it, but uh, I don't know. Powered vintage five forty, but definitely, definitely not my Lafem Fatale. No. Way, way, way too strong. Can you imagine with Fury? Now you're doing eight damage, you know, spread across the board. So this card's really hard to evaluate. I know people are all over the fence with this topic. Uh, You probably have heard, based on the tone that we're having here, I am undecided as well. Uh, I think it might be worth a go on a Friday night to just put this in as an extra card. I kind of want to see what happens because I think evaluation of this card is very difficult. Which Are you talking and about Fury power, or are you my, talking about that I'm, card I'm referring right there? To, I, well, I saw it to Fury already there, <laughs> but I'm talking about putting Elish Norn in my Powered Vintage sure. to give it a whirl just to see what happens. I do not know. I think it's worth testing. I think so. Ish. I think anything's worth testing. Everything's worth testing. Anything that's worth testing that gets us cubing. And then we got Rex Sage. We got those type of effects that are get double down. And we kind of already talked about Perforos God of the Forge, which would be disgusting with Elish Norn in play. Of course. And then Field of the Dead, disgusting. But let's this. this. I mean, think about it with Perforos. You only need five damn five other creatures to enter the battlefield. It's game. And it's game. It's game. I don't know if we're encouraging or discouraging people to add this to their cube. I feel like we're kind of <laughs> speaking out of both sides, both sides of our mouth, but that's okay. It's we're, great, we can it's do great. that. This is great hate. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I like this next one. So the next one is Field of the Dead, right? So a little bit of a condition that you need to have uh, seven or more lands with different names with Field of the Dead, but suddenly you're now creating double of your 2-2 Black Zombie creature tokens whenever you uh, put a land onto Just the battlefield. Land, which is really Again, hard. that's it, not it, nothing. It's it, not nothing. It's gross. Of course it is. And Fetch then... Land Crack it, put another land in. Spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) Yuck. (laughs) Gross. Yeah, gross. Grody, grody, grody. All right, so this is not the Elish Norn episode, but what we wanted to take away from that is you can see where it could be... (laughs) Problematic. It could be problematic. Just based on the discussions we just had and how all over the place that was. Uh, It may require some testing, but I will tell you with total confidence in my heavy blink package cube, it's a no-go. I just, um, it can't be in there because it serves the sole purpose of making one person win more and the other one just not play the game. Yes. Uh, whereas in a power adventures environment, if you have the slots and you're greater than, I'd say, 630 plus, 540, I, I feel a little tight and my group start cutting for I that. I think 540 is so optimized at this point that you're really going to have to work a card like that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless I just wanted to cheat it in for a play test, which is sure. an idea for curators. If you ever want to test a card and you don't want to make a cut. I'm going to guarantee it's going to be on the Moto Cube because they tend yeah, to add be. all the, the, yeah. like the hot new cards to the Moto Vintage we'll get Cube. Some, so. we'll get, we're going to see some play reps dropping down with that. Maybe we'll see... We'll get, we'll get a news flash from Chill MTG yeah. here in a couple of weeks. It says, That's- "Oh, everybody put Elish Norn in your cube." Next thing you know, it's up. The card's spiking. Well, you know, <laughs> our, our our good friend J Bro, Jonathan Brostoff, he loves his mono white. Oh, so if it's in there, this, this is a, a public call for for J Bro. Get your Elish Norns in your mono white decks, and let's see how how it performs. All right, so let's get back to the topic as far as the cube. So we, the, we kind of talked about the categorizations we did before, and this is going to be kind of a static effect. And what we're going to do is problem solution based so we're going to kind of first start out with the aggro hate portion of this conversation we 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 preluded it with it earlier and we talked about moat 
Emote being cloth. creatures without flying can't attack. It's yep. an enchantment. For those mm-hmm. that aren't familiar, two colorless and two planes. And it's a really old, really expensive card. And I ran it for a little while in my Powered Vintage, and it led to some non-games. Yes. It just shut down an entire package that had no means. I mean, they had to go to their sideboard to even try to get back in the game. Because typically, they just want to go sideways with Savannah Lion-esque type creatures. I think Moats is really... It really should be, at the best of times, limited to Vintage Cube, right? I think if you've got some kind of thematic cube and you can justify putting moat into it, I would I would love to see it. I mean, it's great if you can make it work. Whoever out there, if you've got a thematic cube, a non-vintage power level cube, and you've got moat in there and your, and your play group's like, yeah, man, this is a great card. I'd love to see it. I really would. Because I think it's good to see if you've got, you know, situations like that where a card like that can work. But to like me, Like a cube with nothing but flyers in it, for example. Like a cube with nothing but flyers. <laughs> and then, um, you yeah, know, maybe yeah. it's not doing yeah, so it's much. it's not doing so much. Uh, so, so what about a card that we can do that provides a similar effect? And this is uh, Blind Obedience. Uh, yeah. This is a very commander-centric. And if you were a commander player... I hate player, this card. Uh, yeah, most people do. I love it. I hate it. I get it. It's a pillow fort type card. But a lot of commander players will have played with this... Or have experience with it and when they want to be they want to introduce themselves into the cube community this is a card that may tag along with them yes because they have fond memories of four player games where this preserved their life total the problem with blind obedience and for those that aren't familiar for one colorless and one white you get an enchantment extort extorts the one where whenever you cast a spell you can play it breaks all the weird rules of magic and play one it's reminder one text hybrid reminder text of black and white that's right and you can ping them for a life your opponents take one you gain one blah yep. blah blah uh, artifacts and creatures your opponents control enter the battlefield tap. I feel like this is much more manageable in a cube environment because you're only playing one versus one. And I feel like I actually, I own this card. It's in at least one of my decks. I haven't done so yet, but I want to get rid of this card because in a multiplayer environment, I've actually found that it's not always the the answer to everything that I kind of envisage it to be when I first put it onto the battlefield. And there's been plenty of times when it's hurt me just as much as it's as it's been a benefit. But it's pretty good in a 1v1 environment. You know, you've got one player, one opponent across from you, and all of their creatures, all of their artifacts come in tapped. It can buy you multiple turns. If you're asking yourself, Anthony, why do you have this on the list, hating out, it's because it causes your opponent to have to reach their sideboard to respond, uh, as in it is an enchantment, it's harder to interact with. On top of that, it is doing life gain scenario, life swap. So it is hurting, it is hating out your aggro package. It's it's making it so it's non-existent. They hit you for two, you take it back, and you're making it so that you're slowing down, stagnating their entire board. Uh, if you're going to run cards like this, this is Anthony speaking, my opinion, and Stu may agree... You have to ask yourself, if I'm running cards that hate a package so much, why am I running the package to begin with? That's a core element question. If I dislike aggro in my cube, why am I running cards to hate on it? Why not just remove the problem? I I disagree with that viewpoint. And I will say there needs to be answers to, I would say, sort of price points within the archetype, right? Like, I think reanimate is a great uh, idea for this or a great example of this. I don't think in a vintage cube environment, it's a bad idea to have cards that are anti-graveyard strategy cards. Yes, they only work against one archetype, but there's no way on earth I'm ever going to advocate for reanimator being removed really from any cube, right? And you've got it in a couple of your cubes. It doesn't mean you have to be putting Gristlebrand or Archon of Cruelty out, but... 
there's still a strategy there and it can be a fun one and it can be a good experience for the drafters. And I don't want to just say, hey, let's just get rid of all the reanimate cards well, because I was of being one. a little bit extremist there. What you a, were. Well, you well, tend was, to do that. Well, no, I was making a point. If <laughs> you hate kidding. the archetype so much, yeah. don't run cards that hate against it or shut it down. So holistically. But there are solutions. So we talked about Moat and Blood Obedience. Let's go over some cards that you may scratch your head and go, oh, these are these really safer? Uh, they are. They're safer options. And that's what we're going to talk about. Thalia Heretic Cathar. Uh, for two colorless and one planes, you get a legendary creature, human soldier, three, two, first strike. Creatures in non-basic lands your opponents control enter the battlefield tap. And this is obviously it, an easier card because yes. it's a creature. It dies much easier than an enchantment or an artifact. And it does the effect of blind obedience as well as it tacks. It attacks from the aggro standpoint, but can also be a control mechanism for you shutting down aggro. Absolutely. And can mm-hmm. be removed. So it kind of is multi-tiered it's better but worse it's better but worse but has a lot going on it can play in multiple archetypes whereas blind obedience is on the i dislike aggro i want to hide behind this so i can ultimate my planeswalkers etc sure thalia thar is a much safer answer without shutting down and breaking it i love that card i love this i love all the thalia and it's a perfectly safe card and it's strong but it's not impervious no and that's what's so great about it and this one's going to be a little dumpy but makes the point Wall of Roots. Absolutely. You want to stop stop aggro? Put a big old fat do-nothing wall in front of it. Or something. We had First Strike as a shutdown. There's Wall of Omens as well. You get a card when Wall of Omens comes in. Wall of Flowers, Wall of Roots. And we're using the word wall, but it doesn't have to be a wall. But does this deal with aggro? 100%. Guess what doesn't get through that? Ragavan. That's correct. He he might climb it because he's a monkey. We played um, Chris's, (laughs) um, our friend Chris Moore, Samich. Omega Man, he's got about 100 names, but a good friend of ours, an incredible... He does, a <laughs> uh, wonderful cube guy. Um, but we played his Peasant Cube last night, and uh, he had a very uh, aggressive strategy, and I had a 1-3, and that's all it took. And obviously, in a Peasant environment, where you're not banging Ragavans and Thalias and stuff down, something just with a toughness of 3 that was hosing all those... Those two two creatures. That's enough. I wasn't doing anything degenerate. I just played a one three, and that was it. Was hateful towards his deck, obviously from a from a him trying to take my life total down, but a very fair play, and that's exactly what those cards are doing. So They're to being tie fair. off the aggro is a problem package, right? Uh, some simple solutions are bolster or manage your mid range. Add cards in there that are not impervious to damage. They're capable of being destroyed but are able to thwart or slow down if you have an overly... You don't want to stymie the package. You don't want to break it. You want to allow it to play the game because some people want to play a very aggro-centric deck. So you want to be mindful of that. So back to the cards like Blind Obedience and Moat, they straight up just say you will not play aggro as long as these cards exist. Yeah. And you must have an answer. And what if they don't? You now have a non-game once that drops on the field. Agreed. And that's a consideration as a curator. That's the point of this episode. Better solutions are things that... I want to say it's capable of being interacted with from a point of view of the opponent. This will make this will stop you from having non-games, but interaction, which we've said for the thousandth time, is the is key the core. to magic, the core it's of the, the game, core, right? Yeah. Uh, the next, uh, would you mind taking on this next category? So this next one is Artifact Hate. And this one is an interesting one because uh, at KubeCon 2022, Anthony took along his Artifact Cube, and it was a featured cube, uh, which meant that we got some of the, the, the big brains, the much better magic players that Cloud I would ever be playing Ranger it. featured it. Sam Black played it. Sam you know, 
Black uh, played yeah. it. Andy Mangold covered it. So did Justin yeah. Parnell. I mean, it was through a microscope. I was like, oh god, oh god, oh god. It was it was good <laughs> to get some feedback from from players like that, right? From some much yeah, bigger brains yeah. than I'll ever have. So these are a couple of cards we're going to talk about, and these are specifically artifact hate cards. And the first one is Collector Oof. This is a one colorless, one green for a creature, Oof. It's a 2-2, and it's simply activated abilities of artifacts can't be activated. That is hate right there. Yes, you can say it's on a creature. Yes, creatures are removable. But the fact that you just can't activate any artifact abilities, it's not quite moat because it's a creature, but it's pretty disgusting. Yeah, so you, we've, you've heard me do my adage of uh, if someone calls you a horse once, well, that was uh, Chris Moore, a.k.a. Sandwich. He's like, dude, that's a horse. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And then, uh, but if they call you Justin a horse Justin Parnell's twice. calling it out, and he's like, that, that's a horse. I'm like, no, 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 no. And then Andy Mangold, he just said it straight. No, no, dude, that's a horse. That's a horse. I'm like, oh, my God, it's a horse. It's so a I, horse. I went home, I'm like, I'm cutting this. I'm a horse. So <laughs> I love this card. I love this card. But so I love it, too. And I had to cut it, and this art is sick, and it's, it's got it a is. bird cage, and there's no bird in it, which is super weird. But, the you know, massive orange-like... Yeah, dude, he's like a fraggle. He's literally hair. like an evil fraggle. It's like a fraggle. It's that's a fraggle. Exactly it's what a fraggle. It is. Jim Henson fraggle. totally made this evil, dark fraggle. Yeah, agreed. So what uh, yeah. about uh, as a as an alternative to this? It's not an alternative. As a secondary hate card. Do you think this is so hateful? It is, but I love it. It's a it's a different kind of hateful yeah, to me. Yeah. But uh, but I agree it is very hateful. So the next one is again going with the artifact theme is Kataki Wars Wage. This is a one colorless one white legendary creature spirit. It's a 2/1 and all artifacts have at the beginning of your upkeep sacrifice this artifact unless you pay one. So it's basically tabernacle for artifacts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um this is still in my artifact cube. I've chose to leave this one for multiple reasons. One it's a 2/1. Two, one. two the easy to kill. it's it's easy to kill. The tax I get I granted the tax is problematic. I get it. But it's not the end-all, be-all strategies. There's a lot of removal in the cube. You can interact with it and kill it. Oaf was kind of turning off a lot of signets and equipment strategies. And watching it, what what was in, it was, man, it was sobering to me to see this. Watching players play it, Sam Black, etc., on camera, and it, lines of play that were happening where people simply couldn't equip Loxodon Warhammer, Anything. which is an awful card. Anything they, at they all. They couldn't put it on. Wasn't able. They couldn't tap their signets to ramp. The game was becoming just non-games the minute this card dropped out until they got a removal spell. And whereas Kataki is is attacks, if you just let it kind of, you, you can play around that. You card. have a little bit it more choice with it. You can get ahead of the tax. It doesn't you break you. It kind of. I think there's some player agency still embedded in that card. People may disagree with that statement. Matter of fact, I will ask. I would like the community to give us feedback once you've heard this episode. Am I wrong on this one? But I think that is a safe choice, whereas the Oaf, I think, is not a safe choice. Now we're going to provide you some, in my opinion, some safer <laughs> versus the two we just talked about. One I literally said I kept, which is comedy at best, right? <laughs> is the hum of the Radix. I'm saying this is safer. For two colorless and two forests, you get an enchantment. Again, interaction point of problem. But in my artifact cube environment... I have disenchant effects to deal with this, etc. Each artifact spell costs one more to play for each artefact its controller controls. Controller controls is fun to say. It why, is. Why it's would very they cool. do that and not do some synonyms? Um, I think it would be really disgusting if it was <laughs> it's for each artifact on the battlefield. Artifacts, so, artifacts. <laughs> you know, again, it's uh, it's it's you're only impacting 
your own ability to play spells, All right? The more artifacts you put out, the more problems you, you it, it's, yeah. it, it's It's stymieing your opponent, but not breaking your opponent, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I have not seen this card breaking thing. I think this is a safer choice in an artifact environment if you wanted to tone back the aggression or the ramping speed of your opponent yep. so that you can catch up and balance the game. I could be wrong, but I, I've played this multiple times, and that's the lines of play I've seen. It hasn't been harmful it's kind of just made it well until you deal with this i'm gonna you're gonna pace with me we're playing fair magic until you solve this problem and generally in this cube people solve it pretty quickly yes uh well that's why i cut trigon predator so i can keep doing this <laughs> and the next one this is an oldie but a goodie it's it's the we talked about it home of the radix is going to be a static effect it's just always sitting there that's it's right. doing this thing it's becoming cumulative as they add more mm-hmm. whereas disenchant's going to be that one-time effect it's that it turn and burn right and there's so many and of it's those safe. And you don't so have many to put you don't have to put collectors yeah. unravel the ether oxidize like there's so many anti-artifacts anti-enchantment whatever which cards. leads to the next thing when you're running an environment that's key to the strategy we'll use an artifact cube environment you want to be high, you want to be very mindful of how many of these you have right you don't want to put so much anti-artifact strategy into your artifact cube that it's no longer an artifact cube but just rocks blowing up all over the field no one's playing the game so that balancing the equation takes a lot of time i will include in the show notes a copy of both my powered vintage cube all the cards we talked about, in addition to my Artifact Cube, which is about to be the featured cube on Cube Cobra. Very nice. Probably by next week. Or at least when this co- recording comes out. And it'll just kind of... You don't want to break the environment by adding too many hate cards. Which moves over to our next hate section. Steve, would you mind taking away this one? Yeah, so we touched on this briefly early in the episode. So, again, going back to Graveyard Hate. Um, so, again, this can really hose a lot of strategies, right? So, in a vintage environment, you can look at things like Reanimate or Storm. Uh, a, a lot of the times, is very, very dependent whether or not you're playing like a, a Yorgmoth's Will kind of strategy or an un, or, you know Underworld Breach, Brain Freeze kind of strategy. But there's definitely ways to be hateful on Graveyard Strategies without being really hateful yeah. on graveyard strategies. So um, we, we kind of picked a couple of cards here. The first one, very, very simple, Relic of Progenitus. One colorless for an artifact. Uh, it has tap, target player exiles a card from his or her graveyard, or you can tap uh, one colorless and exile Relic of Progenitus and exile all cards from all graveyards and draw a card. It's not a ley line of the void where it's not, it's not static. Versus this card is immediately relegated to a sideboard. Leyline isn't. None of the leylines are playable vintage because you're they just are not. you're not going to get them but in your opening. I hand. wanted to give a tangible example of a card that would just sit out there and just hate an entire strategy out of the game. Relic of Progenitus is on the on the on the cusp of hating Reanimator, but until you know they have Reanimator, you're going to sideboard this in. You will, and and honestly, the fact that what I love about Relic is the fact that if you're playing Reanimate, you're not doing it with one reanimation spell. You're not doing it with one way to get creatures into the graveyard. You're not doing it with, you know, one fatty creature that you're trying to reanimate, right? So, uh, as an opponent, you're probably going to crack it if you have it available the first time that they try and reanimate anything, right? Stands to reason. But that's it. I'm going to recommend gone, you, I'm going to recommend you don't run this card at all. I, I'm going to say that it is in there for the sole purpose of breaking graveyards. It is. It is so hateful towards graveyards that I do not believe that I don't run it in any of my environments that has a graveyard theme. Matter of fact, I don't run it all except for out in commander. Uh, this card, I'm going to give you a softer, more. I think it's fair. I think it's a very, very version fair of a card. card that's more, I don't think it's fair at all. I think, I think if you put it in there in a cube that has a graveyard centric theme, it just exists as a sideboard card to kill a graveyard. 
It does. It's all it is. It's it does. Immediately but it's not unfair, right? It's not like you're paying one mana for every creature. Yeah, it's, instead it's one gets time because it gets exiled. I get yeah. that argument. And you do have the repeatable, like, tap to exile a card. Like, don't get me wrong. that that It's not a, uh, a useless effect. But obviously, the pay one to exile all get, graveyards. And they get to choose, too. So, I mean, the, the opponent's not going to choose Grizzlebrand. They're going to exactly. choose a fetch land. A fetch land, exactly. Uh, so, I think that's... I, I think I, I think Relic of I think it's a, I think it's a bad card in the queue. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna make that bold statement. What I mean by that, yeah, because it's it's gonna hate Storm out and it's gonna hate um, Reanimator out, but there's just better cards to manage. This. It's not gonna. Re- it's gonna have it, to it be. It hits your LEDs. You're gonna have to be very. Yeah, but again, it's only gonna hit it if that's the only card that's in the graveyard, right? So if you've cracked an LED and you've dumped your hand, yeah, I understand. All you need to have is one irrelevant card, right? One right. fetch land, right. one anything that's not useful. So going ahead and going off and winning that turn, right? So I don't think, yes, the cracking to exile everything can be problematic, but at that point, like, I'm trying to play everything at instant speed anyway. Let's go to safer, cuter. Scavenging Ooze. Scooze. Lovely some Scooze. Scooze is a sweet card. And actually, I think this is the better option, and it's more versatile and has utility built in it. It's also the best art that you've got in the show notes. and it doesn't care about just graveyards primarily. It just interacts in a way that... It doesn't matter which package you're running. It's for one colorless and one green. You get a creature ooze. Pay one forest. Exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a creature card, put a 1-1 counter on Scavenging Ooze, and you gain one life. It's interesting. It's, too. It, it, it's interesting as well that you don't like Relic, even though ex- don't. exiling a single card is it's, a tap it, it's effect. It's not the single card that's problematic for me. It's the exile all cards from graveyards. Okay. That's so, just but you have the strategies. choice as a player with scavenging ooze. My problem with these two cards And it's is, repeatable. Well it is. It's repeatable, but it also doesn't have to fit into an anti you can get a fetch land, you can get a creature. It doesn't it doesn't care that you're playing reanimator. It just wants to stabilize. I don't disagree with that, but grow. here's the thing, right? Reanimate I know you have reanimate packages in some of your cubes, right? So and I, I don't want to belittle non-vintage power level reanimate strategies right. but obviously when you've got the ability to reanimate a gristle brand or an archon of cruelty that's really where the power of reanimate is right where you're putting something on the battlefield that costs seven or eight mana for example right so the ability for scoos to be able to answer that is is very significant outside of that scoos isn't vintage playable anymore it's just not or, be- or, or maybe I, I, it's incredibly I dis- I borderline. I disagree with you just for the ability to stabilize on the one life. See, Scooze doesn't care whether or not you're running Reanimator or not. But it only cares about whether you're running No, it doesn't. It no, just, it really does. It really doesn't. Do you think that? I, I will remove your creature and then I will just gain one life with Scooze and make it bigger and make it into a beater. I'll run this in a big green deck with zero consideration of what you... I'll, I'll mainboard this. Versus Relicus Progenitus is not a mainboard card. It's immediately a sideboard card. It's a sideboard card. card 100% Look, looking for two strategies to hate them out. Exa- yes, either, you're right. 100%, that's, that's, yeah. that's what I'm trying to say in so many words. Yes. They're going to hate out Storm or hate out Reanimator. Whereas Scooze doesn't care that you have any of those. It's just going to be a utility piece that's going to play the game. And on, every once in a while, sure, I'm going to get a target. I might get a Grizzlebrand. But I didn't even know I was going to be matched against you. 
right? That, that's, that's, that's my uh, whole absolutely. point of this conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think it's a safer option because it doesn't require another archetype to even play the game. It's not just hating against one archetype. No, it's just right? playing the game. It's good if you're, you know, you kill a creature, you exile it, you gain life, you make it bigger. Yes, I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And you sit down and you go, oh, what are you running? So I'm for a safe option, I go, oh, I got skews. And you're like, oh, oh my boy, God. Yes. Yeah, I get but that's the difference. I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> Whereas if I go, I'm running Relic Progenitus, I hate your deck. I will agree with that. Yes. There you go. Yeah. I, I will definitely agree. Got one, one Anthony. You did. You did. All right, well let's, uh, let's kind of scroll down through some other things. We're going to move into our summary. All right, so what we've kind of talked about to kind of tie this all up is we talked about cards that were static, one-time, repeatable effects, and whether or not you should have a, a good balance in your cube environment. What was too much? What was a safer choice in your environment? I think what we've come up with fairly quickly is that the very static, powerful effects are the ones that need to be treated with the most care yeah I, I think i would agree with that another one too that i think we got out of this conversation going sideways is, is enchantments can be a little bit problematic enchantments can be problematic. If, if it's a static effect that's going to be impacting and hating on an archetype i.e moat and other ones like it it could be a problem yes there was also some good learning opportunities for me as we talked about during kubecon i got to watch other people play my cube and i got to see some interactions that if you had asked me two months before whether or not trigon predator was a problem for that cube i would have argued tooth and nail that it wasn't but then i got to watch people run amok with it right it absolutely ruined me two games in a row by our good friend christian anderson who had it out and sometimes you just draw the right card at the right time. Yeah. Right? There's times where you just get that right answer right when you need it, and you think, man, that's that's pretty awesome. But in a cube that is so focused on the artifacts, there isn't a time where getting that out, unless you're playing against someone that's just gone absolutely hell-bent on the anti-artifacts and just trying to play as little of them as possible, that's going to be a house. I think we kind of tied off a lot of these ideas. Don't put too much hate near. You can look at a lot of my recommendation – Go out to Cube Cobra, look at other people's environments where they've sat there for a while. They've had a chance to solve a lot of these equations. You will see the balance start to happen. If you looked at like White Wolves or you looked at Chill MTGs or you can reference some of my cubes or Sandwich's cubes. For that matter, Andy Mangold's cubes. There's a lot of cubes out there that have been balanced and people have taken the time to make sure that there's not too much hate, that an archetype is not shut down because of singular cards, exactly. et cetera. It, a lot of thought has went into it. It is a very trial and error type of, there's no mm-hmm. one, there's no one shot solution to this. If you're wondering if, well, should I run 13? No, no, it's based, it's based my, it's based on percentages. It's based on paying attention to lines of play in your opponents and getting feedback from your opponents. Yeah, exactly. And like how much, are those hate cards, this is a big one for me, how much are they countering the fun? This is something that we talk about a lot. Yes, you're playing 1v1, you're playing to win, but you do want to promote, I would say, you know, at least I would. I, I know that, Anthony, you speak about this a lot, as does all the people that that have cubes in our, in our group. They all talk about the fact that they want the experience to be fun for all the drafters. Is it countering the fun? Is it stopping the fun in some manner that you just, really are not interested in and then two questions you want to kind of ask yourself is are they are they inhibiting you from advancing the game are they sideboard or are they going main board because these are questions when you're adding cards to your cube what strategy would want this which one's going to actually hate this what is it going to decimate was what what strategy is going to get cut to pieces for me adding this card it's just something you ask yourself before you put it in the sleeves and add it to your cube environment anything else you want to add to that and there's a point that you mentioned earlier. If an archetype or a strategy needs deliberate hate cards, 
Should you have the archetype at all? And I'm going to say that this is extremely context-based, right? Because I do believe that there are nece- that it's necessary for you to have answers to certain strategies, right? I do think you need to pay a lot of care to not just having cards that completely hose or hate out a strategy, but just having answers. And I think this is where you need to make sure that you're getting that balance, right, between what is an answer and what is a hate card, right? I don't know if there's many hate cards that certainly none of the ones that we've talked about during this episode that I'm like, yeah, I really, really like that card. But there's plenty of answers that I'm I'm more than happy to draft a disenchant. I'm more than more than happy to draft a scavenging goose, but I'm never touching moat. Sorry, moat lovers, but you're on your own. <laughs> Team Moat. <laughs> and also like just think of the density as well, like um, and I think that's something I actually, there's another episode brew with this. We'll talk about this at, at another point. Um, this is very, very specific, but we'll talk about this at a later date is the density and what it answers as far as what even the entire cube is concerned, but certainly you can macro it down to an individual archetype is how many answers, right? Again, Trigon Predator is not a hate piece. It's, it kind of is, but it isn't. It's repeatable. You know what? Whatever it is, I hate. It's a good case. It's a good. Well, it's a good. It's a great case case for in the right environment. In the right environment, and in the right artifact cube, Trigon Predator is problematic. Yes. Elish Norn is problematic in a Blink Cube. Correct. Or anything that hosts a large... And there's a lot of these uh, hate cards like that. is problematic in a huge... Yes. Anything synergy, even mid-range. Yep. Anything on the ground. Anything that runs on the ground. Right? Agreed. That's, that's just how you look at these cards. Yep. And it's hard to see it until you look at the cube from 40,000 feet in the air and or you ask for feedback from other players. Hey, can you look at my cube and offer me any recommendations? And don't be surprised if somebody goes, well, I don't know if uh, your aggro package can live through blind obedience. Right. It's, it's good feedback because it's probably true. Could uh, be. Other than that, uh, this has been a fun episode. We kind of it's just good. covered, kind of covered Ipper Palpatine's favorite topic, the dark side of Cube. Good. I can feel your anger. I am defenseless. Take your weapon. Strike me down with all of your hatred, and your journey towards the dark side will be complete. Into your anger. <laughs> Other than that, we're gonna move <laughs> that was on. terrible. But um, yeah, so as always, um, thank you to everyone, to all of our listeners. If you enjoy the show, uh, then please, we would appreciate giving us a five star review on your chosen podcast platform. Again, uh, whatever you can do to to get us out there to more cube enthusiasts, we really appreciate it. Uh, if you would like to support the show, then you can use our Inked Gaming affiliate link. If you're looking to buy some really cool play mats dice bags mouse pads any kind of custom art stuff for your cube your edh decks um go check them out they've got some wonderful products available uh we are reachable at twitter if you like anything or you want to talk about anything with this episode future episodes past episode you can reach us at ubercube mtg pod at twitter or reach out to us via email. Um, we love to read emails from our listeners, and you can reach us at ubercubemtgpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, Anthony, tell us about the Patreon. Uh, so the Patreon is going swimmingly. Swimmingly. Uh, actually, I've got something pretty cool coming out soon that's going to be connected to that. Uh, probably by the time this episode comes out, I would have already tweeted, I am keeping something super cool for the community in my pocket. I've now talked about this for three episodes. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. It's been a long time now. We've got to make it happen. It's in progress. Some of these things right, take good. a little longer than yes, others, but that's okay. It's <laughs> worth the wait. Uh, good news coming down the pipe here soon from Ubercube. Yes, but indeed. But until then, we're going to say the thing that we always say at Ubercube is happy, happy cubing! cubing.